Welcome to Tea and Chat, the podcast where we explore different cultures from first-hand experiences. With your host, Rebecca, a British expat living in Canada. Welcome to today's episode. Today I have one of my lovely students on the podcast. Her name is Celine. She's from France and living in the USA. She just recently had a baby there with her military husband and spends her time studying to work in occupational rehabilitation remotely from the University of Derby in the UK. Today she'll be talking a bit about her experience living overseas in the US as well as what it's like to study at university in a foreign language. So welcome Celine to the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm fine, Rebecca. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to have you on here. It's nice to have some students back on the podcast too. First of all, how is it going with your new baby? I think you said that he's six months old now, right? Yeah, it's good. It's good. It's been easier now that it is six months. The first couple of months were like very rough for me, but now it's mm-hmm. we're good. We have fun. The routine. Yeah, that's good. When they get like a little bit older, that routine is like the key thing in terms of nap schedules and things like that. But yeah, how are you adjusting to being a new mom? Is everything going good as well? Yeah, we had our challenges, of course. Everything is new. Everything is a discovery. It's my first baby and I've never been around babies before. So I feel like I'm learning everything and is learning too to do everything also. So it's quite an adventure. Oh, I like that, that you said it's an adventure. I think that process of watching the baby learn stuff, especially at such a fast rate, is so rewarding as a parent because you feel like you're learning with them, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it's very funny and cute at the same time to see how they're you know, mastering new skills, learning how to roll, how to sit up, and they can like, interact more with their environments. That's very nice to see. And yeah, as you say, very rewarding to see them thrive like that. Yeah, you're at that key stage where they're going to be learning to crawl and walk and talk within like the span of a few months. So it's a really exciting time. I think that was like one of my favorite times of the baby period between like six months to one year before they start running everywhere and creating complete chaos. It's like you get to enjoy that quick learning process of all the new things for them. So that's really fun. Casting your mind back a little bit six months ago, how was the birth? What was that experience like giving birth in a foreign country? I think we had an amazing birth experience. So we are privileged because as a military spouse, I have access to the American military network. So I gave birth at the Walter Reed Hospital, which is the presidential hospital. Mm, Sounds fancy. (laughs) Yeah, very close to Washington. So I have a very fun diploma for my son, Marceau, stating that born at the presidential hospital in in Washington, in Mm. Bethesda, with his footprints on it. So that's very cute. That's so nice. Like it's a kind of certificate. Like it looks very nice. (laughs) I didn't get that. Where's my baby certificate? (laughs) That was very, very nice. So we were in a very small ward with only, I think, six women uh, that night. And I had a nurse all for myself. So that was a very, very good birth experience. I was able to experiment everything that I wanted go through the first phase of labor on my own and finally asking for the epidural when I wanted. So that was great. 
That's nice. Was it short labor then? Quite short. So actually, to get more into details, I was induced. So the first phase took a long time, but my water broke around 2 a.m. and master was there at 7. So it was pretty quick. Okay, yeah, that's nice. You don't have to endure it for too long. (laughs) I'm quite unfortunate that I feel like my labors were really long, but maybe it's in my mind. (laughs) I'm always jealous of people that have fast labors, but yeah, no, it sounds nice. And you said you even had like your own nurse, like was it the same nurse the whole time? Yeah, and actually Marcel was born at 7 a.m., which is a time of team shift. So I was able to stay with the same nurse during all the nights. So that was great. I don't know about the UK or Canada, but in France, usually you give birth in a labor room, which is not your own room in the hospital. But at the Walter Reed, I was able to stay in the same room for the first part of labor, delivering, and then the, the stay at the hospital afterwards, the, the three days. Oh, so the whole process was in one room? Yeah. And you said it was a private room too, right? It was a private room. My husband was able to sleep with me. So it was a great birth experience. Yeah, it sounds really nice. Well, I'm happy to hear that because you do hear a lot of different birth experiences. I'm happy that yours is really positive. Yeah, just to compare in terms of like Canada and the UK, it's actually different. Like even in Canada, because I moved province, the experience was actually very different from one province to another. And maybe it'd be the same, like obviously between hospitals in America and between states in America, I I would imagine as well. But like in Ontario, I had a midwife. So she came with me and she stayed with me the whole time. And that was a very long time. (laughs) So she must have been so tired because I woke her up in the middle of the night. But then when I came to Alberta here, I didn't get to get the midwife because the waiting list was so long. And I had so many different nurses between like 12 hour period. I had like more than five different nurses. It was not nice, actually. (laughs) And I was sad because the first nurses I got were really nice. And gradually they got more and more grumpy. And I'm like, no, like we're getting closer to the labor. I want them to get nicer, not to get like more mean. So Yeah, that kind of happened. And then in addition to that, in Ontario, I had the private room. Like you said, I was still moved. Uh, You still give birth in one room and then recover in another, but it was still a large private room for free, of course, here in Canada. But in Alberta, it was shared room. So it was only one other woman, but of course, it's not so comfortable. The lights are always on. You can't really rest or sleep when you can hear someone else next door. So yeah, (laughs) a little bit different. Yeah. And then again, in the UK, it's different as well. They have midwives, but they can also switch. I don't think you always get like the same one for the whole time or something like that. But yeah, it's always interesting to hear that. But I'm glad that you had a positive experience. I recently saw, I don't know if you, have you heard of Lingua Marina before? She's got like a YouTube channel and stuff like that. Okay, she's kind of like a teacher, but not really. But she's a a Russian living in America and she shares a lot of experience. She's very popular. A lot of students know her. But she recently shared her experience of giving birth in the USA. And she shared the cost of the experience too. And I think, you know, that kind of video really went viral very quickly because everyone is so shocked at how expensive it is. But I think after her insurance and everything like that, the cost came down quite drastically. But I think on average, it's like over 10,000 American dollars or something, right? Yeah, yeah. And on that aspect, I'm 
privilege too because the the military medical network is free for us. Mm-hmm. So I think I just had to pay for the stay at the hospital, the price of the bedroom, and it was like something like twenty five dollars. So very, very cheap. But yes, indeed, the price of the care in the US is really high. For example, for my son, for the four months visit at the pediatrician with the vaccines, I had to pay something like $880. What? Did you get some money back from insurance? But that's a lot of money. <laughs> yes, we had because we have a good insurance. But good. Just to give you an idea of the prices here in the US. Yeah, it's always insane. And I hear that for lots of different things, like for the dentist or just your regular checkups and things, different prescriptions even. And I'm like, I think everyone hears that. And that's usually the big, I don't know if we could say like drawback, but it's a reason that everyone kind of feels a bit hesitant to go forward and move to America. You know, it kind of disrupts that American dream a little bit (laughs) because people are like, that's a lot of money (laughs) just to like get a checkup for something, right? But yeah, no, it's good if you have like good insurance and stuff, then I guess you don't yeah, have to worry You too need much. that here because otherwise it's very difficult to get a good quality of care. Yeah. Uh, there's several levels, I think, in the society, depending on your level of income. Yeah, I always find that interesting too, like the different types of hospitals and like, yeah, the different types of care, because I'm used to a more like universal system where everyone receives the same care no matter what your income and everything and I don't know fully how it works in America but I heard something like that like different hospital types and stuff yeah and I'm used to that too you know in France we have a very egalitarian health system so it has its flaws of course but it's very very effective I think and Something that shocked me here in the U.S., it's, for example, in the supermarket next to my house, you can buy product to treat like dental pain, which is something you cannot find in France because it's easy to get to a dentist and it's quite affordable. But I really think that this kind of product is designed for people that cannot afford like a regular dentist visit. So if you have a tooth decay, you will use that kind of product and not going to a dentist visit because you you cannot pay for it. That's something else that's quite interesting because in terms of different medications between different countries, it varies a lot. And I know sometimes there might be a bit of controversy about the amount of different medications that are for sale in the US and maybe not all of them have been fully trialed as long as they should be typically, you know, maybe they were trialed for shorter periods and stuff like that. But as well, I would say the strengths is a big one. So I know, for example, if I were to go to Japan, their paracetamol, their regular pain medicine is a lot weaker than what we are used to. So a lot of people, that's one thing they might bring from their home country when they travel, because I'm pretty sure it's allowed. (laughs) They'll bring something like pain medication or even daily necessities like toothpaste that actually also can change a lot between countries, like how much fluoride is in your toothpaste and stuff. So Actually, those things are always something to keep into consideration when you are traveling or when you are moving to another country as well. Now, I know I gave you or I gave a bit of an introduction at the beginning of this episode, but maybe you could just inform us a bit better, like where in France you are from exactly and how long you've been living in the UK and kind of what you're up to these days. Uh, Yeah, so I was born in Paris, so I come from the north of France, but I have lived for four years in the southeast of France, in Toulon, 
just right before moving to the US. So, and we've been in Washington DC for a year and a half. So before having a baby, I was studying at the University of Derby UK in a distance learning program in a master's degree in occupational therapy. And so for now, I'm in maternity leave from the university and planning to start again my studies in September. That's really interesting. (laughs) I have a lot of questions. I didn't know like you can have maternity leave from the university. I didn't know that either, but I feel like the University of Derby, I really don't know if it's specific to Derby or it's all the universities in the UK, but they have a really good support program for students if they have life events like having a baby or I don't know illness or death in your family they have a really good support program and I had the opportunity to take a year away from the university to spend time with my son. Nice it's kind of like a gap year whereas usually people might go traveling but you gotta look after your baby right? Yeah yeah I tried to study at the beginning for the first trimester but taking care of a newborn and studying at the same time is very challenging. Yeah, I could definitely see how that would be the case <laughs> as I'm sat here bouncing my own baby trying to calm him down. But yeah, no, that is quite interesting. So how many years are you into your studies and how many years do you have left? So I completed a year and I still have two more years coming. It's going to be three modules and the final dissertation. I will probably be back to France to finish my diploma. Oh, okay. Because you said you have like a year and a half left in the US? Yeah. Are you happy to go back to finish the studies? I mean, I guess it's remote, so it doesn't affect it too much either way. Yeah, but I think I will be happy to get back to France. Living in the US, it's a really good experience for sure, but I miss France, really. Oh, so can you tell me like one of the things that you miss the most about living in France? To be honest, probably my family. So when we decided to move here, I didn't have a baby. And having a baby, having a growing family, it brings a different kind of perspective on your family support. And so I was quite independent before that, but now I want my son to be able to see his grandparents more regularly. So I really want to get back to France for that. Okay, I can completely understand that, especially from my own perspective. Obviously, all of my family is also overseas, but even... My family now that's in Canada, because we've recently moved, we are quite far from them too. But having a newborn, I realized I forgot how difficult it is, I guess. And I'm like, damn, I wish my mother-in-law was here with me because that can definitely be a big help. (laughs) But I am curious to know a bit more about your studies, because I know you've told me a little bit more about what you're studying, but I think for people who don't know anything about it, it might be a bit confusing or something. But yeah, if you could tell us a bit more like why you chose to study remotely with a British university and also what you hope to do once you complete your studies. Okay, so there had been like two main reasons why I choose this university. The first reason was the program. But So when I decided to do that program, I was still working in France, not really sure that I was moving to the US. So this program is designed for occupational therapists that are working. So it's a way to reflect more about your professional practice and have a wider perspective on communities, for example, on public health. So it's a way to deepen your professional reasoning in your day-to-day practice. 
And the second reason is more a practical one because so I looked into American universities, but the price of studies is there's no comparison with the price of studies in the UK. So it it's was through the roof <laughs> <laughs> completely. So it was easier for me as a member of um, the European Union to study in the UK in terms of price and accessibility of programs. So could you tell us a little bit about what you plan to do afterwards and why you've chosen to take this direction with your career? So after that, I want to use my degree to maybe work more in care coordination. So the master's degree level helps to work more in the management of healthcare teams. So my field of practice is with people with dementia. So I used to work in nursing homes. And yeah, my purpose is to work in health coordination and to build projects in that field. So that's why I wanted to get a master's degree. Mm, but you want to continue in that same field, like working with people with dementia? Yeah, it's really some, something that I like. It is so, so interesting. I mean, I think it's a very interesting illness. Obviously, it's one that we still don't know a whole lot about, but there is a lot more research these days about it, right? And I didn't even really know that about you because I know you've spoken a bit about your studies before and everything, but maybe I forgot now it's been a while. (laughs) But I I do think that's quite an interesting direction to take is for sure. And it's something that, like I said, I feel like a lot of people are interested in because it might be close to their home as well, like something that they might have had to go through or deal with as well for their grandparents and stuff. So, yeah, I'm glad that you're doing something really useful. (laughs) Not to disregard other things, but this is like, you know, whenever it's something in the medical field, everyone's like obviously really grateful these days for those kind of jobs. So It's a very interesting field of practice, to be be honest. And rewarding, very rewarding, I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So studying again in a UK university, and obviously that means you're studying in English. Did that pose any issues for you or was it all easygoing? Oh, no. I needed to practice and to work a lot because before starting this project of getting back to my studies in the university, I couldn't speak a word of English. Oh, wow. (laughs) So Obviously, I had English classes in high school, but I was a very, very bad student. So I needed to learn again to speak English. So I worked a lot to be able to just get inside the university because you need to reach a level in language. So I prepared for the IELTS exam so for a year. And due to the pandemics, I couldn't take the exam because there was no session due to the pandemic. So I took the TOEFL instead. Okay. So So you had the option at least to do one or the other. Yeah. So it was a decision from the university because normally it's the IELTS, but due to the impossibility for students just to take the exam, they agreed to be able to take other language tests. Uh, sorry it's my son I love it it's like a mother's meeting here we're gonna have both the babies also being interviewed in the podcast (laughs) except yours looks so happy I love it it's very talkative so he wants to comment (laughs) but yeah so that is definitely a big challenge not knowing like a word of English or you know not being able to communicate in English and deciding making that decision do you know what I'm still going to study in English (laughs) I think that's really brave because of course people have done that but it's not 
the norm. Obviously, it's not something people would usually choose because you are learning not only your subject, but a whole new language alongside it. So it is a really, really big challenge. But I think you've done really well. I mean, here you are on a podcast, you're still studying. It's not like that was years ago or something in the past. So you've progressed really quickly, right? Yeah, that was a very interesting challenge for myself. And that was very intense. So when I was preparing for the exam, I was taking like between six and 10 hours of English per week. I wanted to progress very fast. And that was very interesting uh, to be able to reach the level to be able to communicate and write in another language. Because I think that's the main challenge. Basic communication comes pretty quickly, but to be able to write at an academic level, it's a whole other story. I didn't even consider that. Yes. <laughs> That's like next level. It's, oh my gosh. And especially because you're studying for your master's, it's not even your bachelor's, so it has to be good. Yeah. So that was very interesting. And it's also very rewarding to have your first grades at the university and seeing that your writing is good enough. Uh, to be accepted by the teacher at a master's level. Yeah, I can imagine. It's like, oh, I did it. I did it. And I was going to say, it's very rewarding, but maybe not for the people who didn't work hard enough. So it's even more rewarding because you know that you put all that hard work in and you got that feedback from your teachers. So that's amazing. So obviously, like you said, you're planning to go back to France soon. Do you think there will be any possibility that you will be living in another country again or even have to go back to the US? So for the US, I don't think so. But we asked for an assignment in Belgium. So Belgium is very close to France. And I have studied there and I have lived there for four years. It's a country that I love very much yeah for four years it's a long time as well I didn't know that that's cool so maybe in Belgium but probably no farther than Belgium at the moment I really want to be closer to our families yeah that definitely works then so at least you're on the same continent and (laughs) much much closer to them uh, so it's not too much issue but I mean it helps that you've already lived there for four years before so you know that you're going to like it maybe there won't be so many unexpected surprises or things like that was there anything that surprised you upon moving to the US anything you didn't expect about that Not really, because I knew that it was going to be very different from Europe. So I tried to have an open mind about everything. Even if I think that Washington, D.C. is the most European part of the U.S. Oh, really? Why is that? Because there are many international people and people from Europe. So it's easier to have familiar things. For example, food-wise, it's really easy to find products you can find in Europe, for example. Oh, that's good. I always say food is like one of the biggest things I miss from the UK. And again, being in Canada, because there is that British tie, sometimes it's easy, sometimes it's difficult. It depends where you are, but there's still like nowhere near the same products. Although from a French perspective, I'm sure if you came to Canada, it'd be easy (laughs) if you went to Quebec. So that could be another option in your future. Why not? (laughs) I would love to visit Quebec. It's a really interesting part of Canada. Do you know anyone who moved to Quebec? Yeah, I have two of my high school friends who live in Quebec at the moment and they seem to really like it. I think they want to stay there indefinitely. So <laughs> it's probably a very attractive part of Canada. 
Yeah, I think there's a lot of benefit to being a resident of Quebec. I don't know the full list, but like I said, every province is different here. And I think Quebec has a lot of attractive prospects. If you know French, it's probably the best province to live in from that perspective. Mm -hmm. You have to be fluent, I think, in French (laughs) to be able to live there very comfortably. It's not a necessity, but I think it would definitely, definitely help. But I know, for example, just one big thing is that the housing there is incredibly cheaper than most other provinces just overall especially for like the capital cities it's still like way cheaper to live in Montreal or Quebec City than Mm -hmm. other big cities in Canada so I think that Quebec is still attractive for other non-French speakers so I was a community tutor on italki for a year in French and many of my students studied French to apply for not citizenship, but to be able to move to Canada for work. Oh, you mean like, so it's good to know French to live in other parts of Canada? I think you have more points for your fight if you study French. Yeah, you're, you're actually correct, 100%. So it's definitely beneficial from a visa perspective for the point system. If you can learn both languages, it works in your advantage. And there are still a lot of jobs, obviously, across Canada that if you know French, it's going to be highly beneficial to you because... A lot of Canadians don't know French, a very large amount. So you would still stand out from them by knowing French. And there are a lot of companies that are still desperately looking for bilingual people in that way because it is a necessity in certain jobs. Certain jobs, it's actually a requirement in Canada that they need to be able to speak both languages. For example, all governmental jobs, usually, because you will have that experience of speaking. Like if you have to have a job on the phone, you have to be able to speak both languages. Lots of different situations like that where a lot of Canadians can't speak French, so they would be at a disadvantage. But yeah, so like my previous interview, the previous episode here was with my friend and I was saying how she studied French at university. So she is like one of the few people that I know that is actually really good at speaking French. But yeah, that could be beneficial to her if she wanted to use it in that way. She hasn't, but from a visa perspective, that's a really good tip. I like that you gave that. Thank you. Finally, I mean, I think you've really given an interesting perspective of what it's like to live in another country, also to study remotely and learning the language for that. I think all of those things are really big deals. And hopefully there are people out there who could probably relate and are very thankful that you were able to share your side of that as well. Is there anything you want to add about those experiences? Maybe even about your experience in Belgium, any kind of advice that you would give to people perhaps that would be going through a similar situation? Maybe just not to be afraid to study another language. It really opens doors and perspective on your life. And same thing for living in another country. I know that it can be difficult to be aware from your family, but it's uh, interesting to discover another culture, uh, another way of living. So go for it if you have the opportunity. I like that. Go for it if you have the opportunity. And there are many opportunities in this day and age. So don't make excuses at the same time. I love that. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I'm always so grateful to hear new stories and to share those with the listeners. I will have one more request from you today, the same thing that I did last episode, and that is hopefully you can close the episode today in French for me. I'll just close off myself by saying thank you again, everyone, for listening. There'll be lots more interviews like this in future. If you have any special requests or uh, you'd like to hear someone talking about a specific country, 
You can also reach out and ask me because, of course, I have students from many different countries and I'd love to get as many different perspectives on here as possible so that it's really beneficial if you are also interested in moving to that country. That's going to be it from me here today. Uh, but Celine, if you'd like to wrap it up for me. Euh, bien sûr. Merci, merci beaucoup, Rebecca, de m'avoir invitée. Merci à tous euh, de m'avoir écoutée, de nous avoir écoutés. Euh, N'oubliez pas de vous abonner pour écouter le prochain épisode. Et merci à Marceau de sa participation.